Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we are going to take a speculative look at ancient Atlantis. My guest is Dr. Angela Thompson-Smith. She is a remote viewer who trained with both Paul Smith and Lynn Buchanan, both of whom have been interviewed on this channel, and she is a founding member and director of the International Remote Viewing Association. She is the author of Diary of an Abduction, A Scientist Probes the Enigma of Her Alien Contact. Voices from the Cosmos, co-authored with C.B. Scott Jones. Seer, 30 Years of Remote Viewing. Tactical Remote Viewing, which is the book upon which today's interview will be based, but also Remote Perceptions, Out-of-Body Experiences, Remote Viewing, and Other Normal Abilities. As I mentioned initially, this is a speculative interview, but I could think of no one better to engage in a highly speculative interview focusing on remote viewing abilities than Dr. Angela Thompson-Smith. Once again, this is an internet interview, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Angela. I'm very glad to be with you once again. I'm very happy to be here again. So, we're going to focus today on the work you did uh, looking at ancient Atlantis. And in some ways, this is sort of a, a project I, I would regard it as parallel to our previous discussion about uh, looking at uh, alien uh, entities uh, who uh, could communicate with you telepathically. Fairly similarly, in that it was tasked by the same client. Um, what I found, though, with the Atlantis um, uh, project was that these were very real humans that uh, I was interacting with. I guess we're talking about retrocognition, since in effect you're communicating with beings who uh, presumably were alive on the planet uh, tens of thousands of years ago. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, retrocognition um, and... Um, Retro telepathy, um, a lot of looking back at history. Just as with the uh, voices from the cosmos, there's an element of, of speculation because it's very difficult, almost impossible to get physical, empirical confirmation of uh, the information that comes through. Absolutely. And um, as I said before, with many of my other projects, um, I approach them with some skepticism, with some caution, and I try and keep my own biases out of the picture and understand that there's very little feedback to be had. However, um, information that we can get from the past can assist us now in the future. And um, my client was very interested in alternative healing, alternative technology. So some of the information that I was able to access in these, uh, this group of projects was very helpful to him. I gather one of his interests was uh, in uh, the question of longevity, that uh, presumably people in ancient times lived longer. Right. And um, looking at after I had done the projects, I, I amassed uh, 
a large collection of uh, literature. And going back through some of that literature was um, confirming in some aspects. Some of it didn't match at all. And most of it didn't match at all. But um, I was able to find some confirmations on um, ages and dates and potential dates uh, because nobody really knows when. But uh, there was also um, some work from, um, I believe it was Plato, that uh, talked about, um, you know, the early Atlantis times from their history. Well, as a matter of fact, I did do an earlier interview with Jason Reza Giorgiani looking at philosophers who have written about ancient Atlantis. They include Rudolf Steiner, Colin Wilson, uh, and of course, Plato. So uh, I'm going to link to that interview for viewers who are interested. There'll be a hot link right now in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. But in addition to the philosophical writings concerning Atlantis. There are also uh, a history of clairvoyants who have written about it. And I suppose Rudolf Steiner, the philosopher, fits into both categories. It, there is a huge database. In fact, as I mentioned to you, I have put together an Excel file of um, written resources that I'm willing to share. And, and since you mentioned it, we'll link to that as well uh, right now, once again, in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, if you'd like to download the Excel file with resources uh, concerning ancient Atlantis, uh, there will be a hot link there for you. And it will also be in the description uh, that you can find if you scroll down beneath the YouTube uh, video to the description. The hot link will be there as well. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, concerning ancient Atlantis, you entered into a, a state of consciousness where you felt you could enter into telepathic communication with someone who lived there to, to ask them questions. It was a little bit of um, several different methodologies. The main methodology I used was extended remote viewing, which is an altered state, streaming, um, access to information, um, as well as OBE, out-of-body experience, because I had out-of-body experiences since I was a child, so I will use those or that ability from time to time. So in this um, project in the Atlantis, well, there are a series of projects, um, I used um, a more natural remote viewing rather than the strict military controlled remote viewing or coordinate remote viewing. I am assuming that just like the project you did uh, communicating with alien intelligences, there was a sense that you were really communicating with someone, that this was not just uh, imagery from uh, your subconscious imagination. It really felt that way because the very first project, I was asked to contact uh, three individuals um, in Atlantis, first of all, just to sort of ground <laughs> ground myself in the uh, in the project in the um, experience and I found three individuals that I was able to contact of very of differing classes because it seems that Atlantis was comprised it was a very class society ranging from the the fishermen to the sailors to the um, right up to the elite and um, 
they they lived on various aspects and it was a series of islands that I perceived rather than the discrete rings that uh, have been portrayed by artists. So these were rings of islands rather than um, joined together islands with bridges. So the the uh, folks who were the, on the lower end of the scale, you know, the fishermen and the um, the farmers were on the outer islands and that the elite lived right in the center. And that's where I found three individuals that I was able to um, have a, a almost it was a telepathic in a way if these were individuals, because I can't prove that. But there was definitely a contact with uh, some information from the past, which showed itself to me as three distinct individuals. As I recall, there was even a, a sense of personality there, like one uh, uh, individual felt a little impatient uh, waiting to talk to you while you were busy conversing with one of the others. Right. That surprised me because I thought I was talking to three individuals at discrete times, um, unknown to the others, but uh, that wasn't the case. That that surprised me. <laughs> you started out with a a woman uh, who was engaged in farming. Right. A very simple but very intelligent woman. And um, she told me a little bit about the, the divisions. I would have to talk to this other person if I needed more information, for example. Um, a very likable, very likable person and very down to earth uh I don't know. I suppose you could think back to the the peasant um, peasants of Europe. You know, very homespun, very down to earth, very practical people, and she was too. And then the the second encounter was with a yeah, was it a fisherman or some other worker? He was more of a worker, and um, he sort of chastised me for talking with the woman <laughs> because um, it seems that they did not socialize with each other. Um, but um, And he was a little on the abrupt side and I was able to glean quite a bit of information from him. But it was more work, you know, talking to him than it was to, to the woman, Freya. And, and the third person you describe as an elder yeah, there was a very high class of uh, Atlanteans who were the elders, the ones that lived for an incredibly long life. And they lived a very, very pampered life. They didn't work. They, um, in fact, some of them were even carried around <laughs> because, uh, well, one thing was they were very old and very disabled at the end. But um, they were... The one I told, I believe this was a woman, and um, because women were the matriarchs, and uh, there were patriarchs too, but the matriarch was basically a matriarchal system. And uh, she talked to me, but in a, a, a friendly, but almost a condescending manner, wanting to know who I was. Um, so uh, it was interesting talking to all three of them because there were different aspects of society that came through. As I recall, one of the points she made that is, even though her, her body was so frail, she had to be carried around everywhere, she devoted herself to the cultivation of the mind. Yes, yeah. That sounds like a wonderful way to be. <laughs> if you're going to live to a long life, <laughs> get carried around and just meditate. <laughs> 
And in addition, you write about a conversation actually with Plato himself about Atlantis. At the very end, just for fun, I thought, okay, if I can contact these other folks, let me see if I can contact Plato. And he was actually um, deceased, but I was able to talk, as I imagine, to the spirit of Plato rather than to him when he was living. And he was um, he was really not very happy with me uh, talking to him. But he gave me some information about um, what he had perceived. And at the end, he was like, well, just leave a tired old man to sleep. You know? um, so he seemed a very real character. I suppose another way of looking at what you're doing, some people would say uh, you're accessing the Akashic records, the, the records of everything that's ever happened. That's a um, a metaphor for all the information that ever has been, is, and will be um, similar to what we call the matrix in remote viewing, that there is a repository of information that can be accessed and through various uh, methods. So that's true. That was, um, it, it could be said I was accessing the Akashic Record or the Akashic Library. You know, some people might look at this through a spiritualist lens. Other people might suggest uh, it's the Akashic Records or the, uh, uh, my friend Marty Rosenblatt would say, the universe of collective consciousness. Uh (laughs) Yeah, it's called by many names. Now, you mentioned that Atlantis, uh, as you experienced it in, in this uh, process, was had classes, social classes that were quite distinct. You also write that the, it, it, there were different historical periods. It wasn't uh, a, simply a uniform society from age to age. It lasted for, I think, tens of thousands of years, and there were, you might say, different epochs. Right. And I didn't, of course, I didn't have the time or the resources to go into every every epoch, but I did um, go backwards and forwards. For example, um, my client was very interested in the, um, the rituals that were performed on Atlantis. So at one point, I went to a location where there were, it was a temple where there was a, there were roaming bulls, um, a bit like the Mithraic uh, religions. And um, the individuals who were there serving in the temple uh, were hunting the bulls and the bulls were hunting them. So that was quite dramatic. And I, I am a very much an animal lover. So that was not my my choice. Um, it was where I ended up. I asked to see a ritual and that's uh, what I perceived. And you also wrote about the uh, technology that they had. There was a primitive society, but they seemed to be able to work with, I think, what you describe as earth energies. Absolutely. And uh, that was fascinating because I'd always heard about um, them using copper and crystals, but I didn't understand that they were used in combination so they would drive these large copper spikes way down into the earth. And um, they, they were also connected with, with crystals. And um, they would draw up the energy from the earth. But the, they had to ground it. For example, um, when rainwater came in, that could often you know, disturb the energy. And um, that had to be siphoned off and back into the ocean. 
because that could, you know, could uh, disable the system. So there were even back then there were there was technology that they had to consider. One of the interesting things that you wrote about also had to do uh, with the social classes that apparently the the working class uh, lifespan was shorter because they worked so hard. Uh, the elites seemed to have a very prolonged lifespan. I think you suggest maybe over 200 years. Right, incredibly long lives. But there again, we don't know how they divided up their, their uh, year. Um, or what they termed uh, years. Um, it could have been that a month to them could have been a year or six months could have been a year in their um, vocabulary. That I wasn't able to, um, to ascertain, but they, they did seem to be able to live for an incredibly long life. You also described that they had uh, ships, they, they were navigating the oceans, they visited other lands, uh, they engaged in trade. What they did was they, they had a keel on the ship that was made of copper. And this also was able to um, gather in some of the energy from the, from the salt water, because the energy was, um, when the rainwater was siphoned back into the ocean, that, of course, took it back in for, I suppose, a regeneration. And the, uh, the mariners utilized that energy. And um, they did have some sails uh, for when they, you know, they needed perhaps to be near the shore or um, in fresh water. But um, when they were in the sea, um, they did use these keels and, and, and use the energy from the keels to direct the ships. There are some myths about Atlantis that suggest that they were a highly advanced technological civilization that destroyed themselves. I gather your readings didn't confirm that. Well, yes and no in terms of the technology. They were, apart from the, the, the elite at the top, um, they lived very simple lives and very contemplative lives. And um, they... I, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't remote view when it was destroyed. I did go to locations where the Atlanteans could possibly have um, landed when they, they took off in their ships, because that was the information that I perceived. And it seems after doing, I did some research after the fact of um, the, the West Coast of Europe. So in terms of... Um, Scotland, uh, Wales, Ireland, um, all around the, the Pyrenean area of, um, you know, the, the continent. Um, there are some very, very interesting and unusual people and languages and customs. And they are right in a direct line with um, what would have been a migration coming in from the sea along that long coast. So it's quite possible that um, the Atlanteans landed on the west coast of Europe, um, perhaps even further south, we don't know. But, um, for example, you know, the Welsh language is very, very different from any other language in, in Europe. Um, the, the Scots, the Gaelic is different, but they all have some similarities. While they're different in themselves, there are similarities between them. Um, 
where they're very different from the um, the other European languages. So there's also a, a period of time, and um, I think it was about um, 30,000 years ago, um, where, I forget the actual dates, where out of the blue there appeared this uh, civilization in Europe. Nobody knew where it came from. Uh, they came in with with weapons, with energies, with language, with art, um, crafts that nobody had ha- ever seen before. And when they do the archaeological research, there is nothing preceding this um, people um, that could account for them. So it's quite possible that they came in from Atlantis. I think you're referring to what is known as, uh, I believe it's called Aurignacian culture. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, so there's quite a bit of archaeology that, uh, for example, the various cave paintings in Europe, which some of which are quite sophisticated, seem to be attributed to the Aurignacian culture. Absolutely. Um, there are some wonder, there's some wonderful sculpture and, of course, the cave paintings. And what I found, um, I did a National Geographic uh, DNA search, uh, which was from the maternal line. And I've done other ones since of the um, my general DNA through Ancestry. I'm not advertising here. This is <laughs> just what I did. And um, so with the National Geographic maternal line, I found that I was haplogroup H, which had its roots way back in the Aurignacian times, which really surprised me and, and, and um, delighted me, actually, <laughs> because my own heritage came from way back um, through the maternal line. And I gather that another word for the Aurignacian culture is also the Cro-Magnon culture. I think so. I, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Did you uh, hypothesize where Atlantis was? I mean, uh, for example, uh, one of my other guests, Jason Giorgiani, speculates that it's actually buried under the ice cap in Antarctica. That's I've heard lots of stories about it was at the Canary Islands. It was north of the UK in the Dogger Bank. Um, it was in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, so I didn't do that. That wasn't part of them. Um, I was guided very much by the client's um, tasking. And that wasn't one of the taskings that he gave me to actually um, look at where it might be. You know, some of the myths suggest they developed all sorts of technological powers and they destroyed themselves with their own technology as, as if it's a warning to us of, of what we might do. And I, I presume that's not what you found. The main thing I found was that they had a climate change and they were getting more rain than normal. This was, I didn't actually look at the cataclysm, but this was preceding. Um, so there was a lot of rainwater coming in and um, both diffusing and um, making the the energy that was coming up from the earth unstable. And um, they weren't able to drain off enough uh, of the rainwater. And um, I I think I speculated at the time that that was that could have contributed to the uh, the demise. But there were. Um, there was a lot of consternation at the time about this situation. 
Did you uh, ever develop a sense about their religious practices? From what I saw of the the bulls being used very much in ceremony and ritual, both in reality as the animal itself and also as statues, that this was very much of a Mithraic um, religion. They were also very contemplative, and um, one of the taskings that the client gave me towards the end of our series was he was thinking of um, putting together a, a spa or a retreat site somewhere where he could bring in some of the Atlantic Atlantis uh, methodologies, practices, um, etc. So what he asked me to do was to go to one of the Atlantis uh, centers where they went for rejuvenation and uh, for rest and relaxation. And it was fascinating to uh, describe. Uh, they did very much, um, the, it was not technology as we know it, but they used the, the copper um, implanted into the earth in all of the beds, the seating, the pool was a copper-lined um, seawater pond. Um, everything that um, they used to sit or eat or talk was um, dug down into the earth through copper rods and crystal rods. And um, they also had um, a silence. There was a, a bit like a, a monastic order. As they came in, they gave in all of their belongings and their payment and everything else outside. When they went inside, they, they didn't speak. Um, they were fed a nutritious food, but they didn't speak to anybody else, except in quiet conversations where they could go into secluded rooms, um, also into dream rooms, where they could dream and talk to a person about the dreams. But there was no chatter. There was no, if you go to a spa today or a retreat site, there's a lot of chatter going on. And uh, that can be very distracting. But in this um, um, spa, which was mostly outdoors, of course, it was very, um, it was warm, a warm temperate uh, temperature, um, that they could very much just be for a period of time. And they didn't go, say, for a day or a week or a month. They went for as long as they needed. And they told people that they were going to this, um, this is what I perceived, that they were going to this center where they could go in and leave whenever they needed. But it was assumed that they would be there for a duration. Many people uh, suggest that the pyramids of Egypt and perhaps pyramids elsewhere really originated with the Atlantean culture. There are some Egyptologists who wonder how the Egyptian culture seemed to emerge so suddenly. Now, I know you've also done readings on ancient Egypt. You've looked at the Sphinx in particular. Uh, but from what I gather, uh, you didn't see an Atlantean connection there. Uh, no, no, and I didn't. I don't recall seeing pyramids on the Atlantis that I perceived. Um, they were. It was. It was not flat, but it was. Um, they were not huge buildings, um, such as the pyramids. So that I think that was a completely separate civilization. 
How would you compare the uh, results of your remote viewing with, let's say, the reports of uh, Edgar Casey, who is well known for having uh, provided uh, ostensible information about Atlantis? I did look at a bit of that after the fact uh, because I didn't want to um, color my own uh, perceptions beforehand. So, but after afterwards, I went and looked, and I did find um, some overlap. But his his viewings were more related to um, illness and disease, and how they were cre- how they were treated, and uh, from from the readings that I that I had. Um, but well, you, you, go ahead. Well, I, no, I was just going to thank you for being with me once again, Angela. It's been a great pleasure. You're welcome, and I'm happy to come and talk about um, much of the research that I've done and the explorations, and there will be more to come. And for those of you watching, thank you for being with us.